Thank you for accessing this audio resource from Glad Tidings Church. This is Pastor Tim Rice. I hope you enjoy the message and receive some benefit from it. If you do, please let us know. Send your comments to info at gladtidings.church. Now, here's this week's message. Uh, but let's talk about the Bible study for just a few moments, okay? So here's, here's what we're going to do when we're, when we're going through the book of James. Okay, as I mentioned um, my intention is, my desire is, is that we're going to go through the book of James and more than me just preaching to you, hopefully uh, we want to look at the text together, ask some questions about the text that will help bring the meaning out so that you can learn, that you, uh, that you can do that on your own uh, as well. And um, so there's three main questions that we're going to ask of the text every time that we look at a text from the book of James, okay, to help us get at the meaning and study the book of James. And the three questions are these, and you see them there on your handout. Every week we'll be talk, asking these three questions about the text that we're looking at that week. Question number one is, what does it say? I mean, that's the, that's the most basic question. If you're reading through the, the Bible, then you're reading the Bible, you're reading the text. And so, there we'll be asking questions about what the text itself says. What does this word mean? Who is it that's talking? Who, who are they talking to? That's kind of setting some of the context for what the passage is actually saying. Some passages will have, they, for instance, they might have words that we'll have to define so that we understand the words that the author is using and, and what they're talking about. So the first question we ask is the most basic question. What does the text say? so that we're understanding what the text itself says. Number two, the second question is this, what does it mean? Okay, if we, once we understand what it says, we're going to ask, okay, what does it mean now? Now listen, there's something very important about this question, okay, because here's how we sometimes do Bible study, and, and it's not well, here's, here's sometimes what we ask ourselves when we read the Bible. We, we say, what does it mean to me? Now, listen, that's an okay question as long as you ask another question prior to that question, okay? And here's the question you've got to ask about the text. Before you ask, what does it mean to me? You've got to ask, what did it mean when the person wrote it? And what did it mean to the person that they wrote it to, that it's intended for? Because the Bible can't mean something to you that it was not intended to mean to the original audience. Okay? You with me tonight? Because uh, I've, I've seen, and probably you have too, I've seen a lot of people take Scripture and twist it and bend it to mean whatever they want it to mean. How many knows that's... That's dangerous, right? That's where we get some weird doctrines, and that's where things come out of left field a lot of times when people say, well, here's, you know, um, you know the third horn on the beast, and here's what I think that means. Well, it, you know, so it comes out of left field. They just make up what they want it to mean. So the first question you got to ask is, what did it originally mean? Um, so like tonight, James, what did James mean when he wrote this, what did he intend his audience to understand when he, when he wrote this? Because it can't mean something to me that it didn't mean originally to the original uh, audience, okay? So we'll ask that question. What does, it, what does the text mean? What did it mean to, in the original 
context to the original person. Therefore, what does it mean in our context as well? So we'll spend time talking about that second question with each text as we break, go through the book of James. And then the third question that we'll ask, and this is what will lead into our prayer time at the end of the service, is how does it apply? Okay, so what does the text say? What does it mean? And then once we, dis once we discover what the text means, okay, so how does that apply to me? How do I apply that text? How do I apply that meaning uh, to my life? What difference does it make? What difference should it make to the way that I think, the way that I act, the way that I behave, the things that I do? Because how many knows what the Word of God says ought to make a difference in the way that we live our lives. Amen? So that's why I've chosen, in fact, the book of James. Because James, <laughs> James is um, very in your face about that. Because he says, okay, you say that you believe this. If you believe this, then here's how it's going to work. In your, in your life, okay? You're going to do these things. Paul does that too. Some people imagine that there is a conflict between what Paul teaches about faith and works and what James teaches about faith and works because, um, that, in fact, that's why Martin Luther says, you know, I'm not sure they should have put James in, in the canon because it seems that James is teaching uh, faith by works. And that's not what James is teaching. Him and he and the Apostle Paul are teaching the same, the same thing. And we'll talk more about that when we come to that section in, in the book of James. But James very intentionally, Paul says the same thing. Paul says in, his, in all of his letters, Paul usually has a section at the beginning. He has a greeting. Then he has a section where he says, here's what we believe. This is what we know to be true about God and about Jesus Christ. Here's what he has done. Here's what he has accomplished. So he talks about theology. Here's what we believe. And then he switches at some point and he says, okay, now that you now we've established this is what we believe, here's the difference that it makes in, in your life. And so then that, that's when he goes into the practical part of his letters and he says, husbands, uh, love your wives like Christ loved love the church. Wives, submit to your husbands and um, employers treat your employees this way employees here's how you ought to, to behave fathers don't frustrate your children children you have to obey your parents and so Paul is very practical about it as well he gets at it in a little different way um, so they're, they're saying the same thing but I want to uh, kind of walk through the book of James because it has very practical advice about how we live out our faith, how the faith that we believe, how it works out um, in our lives. So we're going to go through the book of James. We'll talk about um, these passages, and with each passage we'll ask uh, those three questions, okay? So to illustrate it tonight, we're going to do kind of a, a mini one tonight. We're just going to look at the first verse of the book at James of, uh, of the book of James and kind of illustrate how much uh, how much you can pull out of just one verse um, if you ask these if you ask these questions 
of the text itself, okay? So James, so bring your Bibles. Well, I'll do my best to make sure we put the scripture up on the screen, but bring your Bibles um, because that would be best. James chapter 1 verse 1 says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Okay, so let's ask, what, uh, what does the passage say? First of all, uh, for instance, we have to ask ourselves, James, who is James? Who is this? There's at least, I think there's seven, maybe, at least five different James that are mentioned in uh, the New Testament alone. Which James is this James? Jesus' brother. brother. That's exactly right. He, he was called James the Just, all right? And so this is Jesus' brother, James. What do we know about this James, about Jesus' brother? Well, for instance, we know this. We know that initially James was not a believer in Jesus Christ. He was a Jewish, um, he, was, he was Jewish, but he did not initially, he did not believe that Jesus was the Christ. In fact, all of Jesus' brothers and sisters, you might remember that from the Gospels, they, they didn't believe in him uh, at first. So James was among those. He, he did not initially believe uh, that Jesus, you know, having, having two boys myself, I can see that, right? <laughs> I can see one brother saying, no, you're not all that. No, I don't, I don't mind. So I can totally see uh, that kind of conflict between, between the, besides some people say that James might have been, James and Jesus might have been half brothers, um, that, that Joseph had been married, married prior to marrying Mary and that he had other children and that James and Jesus perhaps were half brothers. We don't, we don't know that. That's speculation. Regardless of the fact, we know that he was Jesus's brother and that initially he did not believe uh, in Jesus Christ. In fact, we're not really sure at what point he does place his faith in Jesus Christ. Although we do know this, that James was one of the ones, and we mentioned this a while back when we talked about apologetics, James received his very own personal resurrection appearance from Jesus Christ uh, after, after the resurrection. So it may have been after the resurrection when Jesus appeared to him that James put his faith and his trust in Jesus Christ. But initially he was not a believer, but eventually he becomes a leader in the church. And in fact, this James becomes an apostle in the church. Now what, what is an apostle? An apostle was one of those initial leaders that had witnessed Jesus Christ and uh, was one of the um, foundational pillars in the church. In fact, this James, James was an apostle and he was a leader in the church at Jerusalem. He was the bishop, if you will. Um, I know that term is kind of loaded about what we think of a bishop now, but he was, he was the main pastor, the main leader of the church in Jerusalem. Okay, so that's the James that we're talking about here, a man who was not initially a believer, but who came, became a, who was a Jew who became a believer in Jesus Christ and a leader 
of the church in Jerusalem, which was primarily a Jewish church in, uh, in Jerusalem. Second question is, so when you're looking at the text, for instance, when you say, what does it say? You got to ask, who is James' servant? What, what does the word what does the word servant mean here? What is a servant? Anybody? Um, what is, when you hear the word servant, what does it mean? Somebody who waits on somebody else, right? Exactly, somebody who attends to, to somebody else. The Greek word there for servant is doulos, which, which is sometimes translated in, a, in different ways. It's sometimes translated as servant sometimes translated as bond servant. Um, it's sometimes translated as slave, somebody who is a, who is a slave. In fact, when, when Paul uses that word, he uses it primarily in the, in, the, in the sense that he was a slave to Jesus Christ and that he had completely given himself to Jesus Christ and owed his life to Jesus Christ. And that's the sense in which we assume that James means it as well, that he was a, a slave in the, sense, um, in the sense that he knew that he had been bought with a price, that he had been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, and that his life, therefore his life was no longer his own. He didn't belong to himself. He belonged to Jesus Christ. And that his purpose was to do what? was to wait on him and to do his will. So he, he, wasn't, he wasn't about his own agenda, doing his own thing. He, he wanted to do what Jesus, he belonged to Jesus Christ, and so that meant he, was, he existed to do the bidding of Jesus Christ. That's what a servant was. Next question we might ask of the text itself, what does the text say? We have to ask ourselves, who are the 12 tribes, and what is the dispersion? What is, we, we know what the 12 tribes are. We understand that reference as a reference to who? Israel, right? Again, James is the leader of the church at Jerusalem, which is primarily a Jewish church. And so his reference to the 12 tribes is, it is a reference to the fact that he is, he is a leader of the Jewish church. So he is talking about Israel. He is talking about uh, Jewish believers, but not exclusively Jewish believers because the early church understood that now all of those who put their faith in Jesus Christ now, and Paul says this uh, in Romans, now we are all, what, Israel. We have, we have been grafted into the vine. And so when James says the 12 tribes, he is, he is making a reference. He is acknowledging uh, that he is writing this letter particularly to those Jewish believers for whom he has a responsibility as their pastor, as their leader. But it's not exclusive of, any, of all other Christians. He is, when he uses the word Israel, or when we think of the word Israel, that's inclusive. That includes all of the household of God, all of those that belong uh, to God. So he's, it is a nod to the fact that he is a leader of the Jewish church, and he's writing to those Jewish believers that he has responsibility for. 
uh, but his words are as applicable to us because we're all part of the household uh, of God. Amen? But, but what is the dispersion? When he says, I'm writing um, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, what is he talking about? That's right. Those are all over. Why are they all over? Why are, when he's talking to these Jewish believers, he's writing this letter to these Jewish believers, why are they all over? They've been scattered. Exactly right. And they were scattered because of, of, ha- of what? Persecution. Persecution that, uh, that, had, uh, that arose when we talked about that when we preached through the book of Acts. That when persecution arose, the Jewish believers that were in Jerusalem were scattered. And so they went through all the areas of Judea and Samaria and into Asia Minor uh, into Bithynia, all of these different locations, these Jewish believers that had been uh, in Jerusalem, now they were, now they were scattered into, into different locations. And so James, who was the leader of this church, and he led that church um, in Jerusalem, now that they're scattered, it's, it's like if something were to happen and done that scattered all of the believers from Glad Tidings Church and, and some had to move to Raleigh and some had to move to Georgia and some, some had to move to Minnesota or some had to move to Florida or some had to move to New York. We feel sorry for those that have to move to New York. Right? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, and so, and I wanted to communicate with all of those that have gone, then I would... I would write letters to all of these. The same thing. James is writing to his flock of believers that now are scattered in different locations because of the persecution that has taken place. Another thing that we say we know this about James, I think that we can know it reliably well anyway, is that James died because of the persecution that broke out against believers. Traditionally, he was beheaded um, because of his faith and his belief in Jesus Christ. So, um, so when we look at this text, we've asked all these questions. Who is James? James is the brother of Jesus, not initially a believer, uh, but he became a believer perhaps after the resurrection appearance that he received. Then he became an apostle, a leader of the church at Jerusalem. He's writing to his congregation, those Jewish believers that have been scattered because of the persecution that took place in Jerusalem. Let's move on to the second question. Well, what does it mean? What does this verse mean? Well, this is only one verse, and so um, it's kind of kind of uh, very plain what it means. He's writing to them and he sends them in this verse anyway. He is giving them his greetings. Here's the larger question. Why, does, why did James write this letter? Why is he writing to these um, believers? Why do you think? He's writing to encourage them. Exactly. They've been scattered and so he's writing to encourage them. Anybody else? Why would he write to them? He has responsibility over them, doesn't he? He's a, he is the shepherd, the under-shepherd under Christ, but he has responsibility for their soul. He has responsibility for their life. So he has a responsibility to these believers that have been scattered now among the Gentiles and uh, who may be asking themselves, here's, here's the important question, how 
do I now live out this new faith? Because remember, all of these are believers are relatively new believers in Jesus Christ. They're Jews, but they're relatively new to their faith in Jesus Christ, just like James is. James relatively new in his belief in Jesus Christ. And so now they've been scattered uh, out among the Gentiles. And so James is writing to these believers who may be asking themselves, okay, now I find myself not in the safe confines of just my Jewish community surrounded by the people that I know and that I have learned to love and, and familiar with. Now I'm surrounded by Gentiles and they've got all of these different kinds of traditions and practices and things I don't understand. They're doing things I don't understand. They got beliefs I don't understand. And so maybe they're asking themselves, how do I live out my faith in the middle of this Gentile world? How do I live out this faith that I have in Jesus Christ in the midst of a Gentile world? World And so James is writing to them out of a responsibility that he, he feels as a pastor to encourage them and also to communicate with them about how to live this faith that they have in Jesus Christ, especially in the context now of a Gentile world um, that, that surrounds them. And so he writes to them as believers that have been scattered throughout the Gentile world, and he wants to communicate to them how to live out their faith in, in Jesus Christ. So they're scattered um, about, and, it, and it's a perfect image of um, what the Bible talks about when it says that we as believers, in the same way that those Jewish believers were when they were being persecuted and had to be scattered out into the Gentile world, in the same way, the Bible says we are in the world, but we're not of the world, right? And so James has a lot to say to us as believers because just like those early Jewish believers, how many knows we are, we're exiles in this world. We're, we're in this world, but we're not of this world. We're children of God. We're of the household of Israel. We're the people of God. But we face the same question, the same dilemma. How do I live out this faith in a pagan world, in, in a wicked world? And that's why the book of James is so uh, informative and help, helpful to us is because the same issues they were dealing with are the same issues that we deal with. So what does it mean to be in the world but not of the world. Can you identify with these Jewish believers that have been scattered uh, around the world? What does it mean to be in the world uh, but not of the world? Anybody want to have the mind of Christ? That's good. Amen. Keep our mind on Jesus Christ. That's right, because a lot of these things, a lot of things in the world can distract us, can't they? Anybody else? <laughs> and then 
Excellent, excellent. That's, that's a great observation. Yeah, so, so we're scattered into the world, and, and I'm going to come back to that in just one second. We're scattered in, into the world, and in fact, uh, in the book of Acts, when the church was scattered, one of the things that happened when the church was spread out from Jerusalem was what? The Bible says they took the gospel with them. And so wherever they went, they were spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. And so being scattered out is not necessarily a bad thing, is it? You know, when I, I didn't plant my garden this past year, but when I plant my garden, uh, I don't take all of my seed and just dig a hole and put it in the ground in one place. Now, I scatter my seed out, right? And I plant it strategically because I want it to grow. And uh, so in the same way, the church of Jesus Christ is scattered throughout the world, but we're scattered throughout the world for a strategic purpose so that we can spread the love, share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Excellent. Good observation. I'll go come back to that in just one second. Any, anybody else? What does it mean to you to be in the world but not of the world? We're living for a different reason. We've got a different set of priorities, don't we? A different, uh, a different identity than the rest uh, of the world. Excellent. Anybody else? Just like James, who describes himself as a servant of Jesus Christ. I belong to Jesus Christ. That's my identity. Now, anybody else? Well, let's read three verses here that help us. And by the way, how the, one of the best ways to interpret Scripture is to use Scripture. Scripture interprets itself, okay? So let's read three Scriptures. How do the following Scriptures help you to understand what it means to be in the world and not of the world? First of all, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12, which says this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light once you were not a people but now you are God's people once you had not received mercy but now you have received mercy go on to the next one beloved I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and do what? Glorify God. What does it mean to be in the world but not of the world? It means that, yeah, we live in this world, but we don't partake of this world. That there is a difference between the children of God, the people of God, in this world, amen? So there is a difference, as Jamie said. Number two, let's go on to John chapter 17, verse 15, which says, I do not ask you that you take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil one. What does it mean to be in the world, but not of the world? It means not only that uh, we are different than the world. But thank God, it means that we are kept from the world. Aren't you glad that God looks over his people? He sees us and that he keeps us from the evil one. We have protection from God Almighty. Then number three, Matthew chapter 5, 
beginning in verse number 13. And this is uh, what you were talking about, Teresa. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under pe people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do, a, do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So, that's right. <laughs> We're all peculiar, aren't we? We're strangers in this world. And that's what, that's what James is saying to these people. You've been scattered throughout the world. You are a peculiar people. You're, you, have a different, you have different priorities from the world. But God is going to keep you in this world. He's going to watch over you and protect you. But you have been scattered strategically so that you can... Uh, let your light shine so that you can be the salt of the earth and so that you can influence the world. And so James, that's what James is going to be talking about, a, a, a faith that works and demonstrates uh, itself. That we are supposed to have influence on the world, but the world is not supposed to have influence on us, right? So here's the application question that I want you to consider um, this evening. How, how can you make a mark on the world this week? What, how can you have a positive influence on the world around you this week without or instead of allowing the world to make its mark on you? you because as believers uh, we are kept from the world we have a different master we have a different savior we're servants of Jesus Christ we're in the world but we're not of the world the world shouldn't influence us we should influence the world for Jesus Christ Amen. there's a lot there in that just that first verse isn't there. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to bow your head and we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. And each week we'll have, we'll have more time than we have tonight because I had to take some time to explain what we're going to be doing. But Belinda, would you come to the piano? Or, or I'm sorry, Mike, would you come to the piano? We weren't sure if Mike was going to be here tonight. I'm glad that he is. Mike, come to, would you come to the piano tonight? Would you play uh, something just appropriate? And here's what I want you to do. Each week, I'm going to ask you, I'll have an application question, and I want you to write out some kind of response because I want you to be intentional about, Lord, here's what I, how I feel like I can make a difference this week. Here's how I want to apply this scripture to my life. And so, with your heads bowed and, every, and your eyes closed, let me ask you tonight, first of all, first of all, can I just be frank with you tonight, and, and can I challenge you just a little bit and say, would you pray and would you ask the Holy Spirit and say, God, is there some area of my life where the world is having too much influence on me? The world's changing me.
the world is making its mark on me. And, and if there is, the Holy Spirit will reveal it to you. And if, if, he is, if it is, then I want us to just take a couple of seconds right now, and I want us to just confess that to the Lord. Would you do that? Would you say, Lord, I see where the world is having too much influence in this area of my life. I'm giving it too much of my time, too much of my attention. It's changing my heart, my attitude. It's giving me the wrong kinds of thoughts and behaviors, Lord. And I recognize tonight, because your Holy Spirit has shown me, that the world is having its influence in my, in my life in this way. And God, I, I confess it to you, and I repent of it. I pray that, Father God, you would break its hold in my life, Lord. Keep me, keep me from the evil one. Keep me from that one who wants to steal and kill and destroy. The, the one who goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Father, I pray that you would help me to keep myself unspotted from the world. Then after you've done that, I want you to pray and I want you to say, Heavenly Father, help me to make a difference in the world around me this week. Show me opportunities to do good. Show me opportunities to shine my light. Show me opportunities, God, to tell somebody about Jesus Christ, to speak a good word, to be an encourager, God. Help me, oh God, to make, my, to make a mark on the world without the world making its mark on me this week. Thank you for listening today. If you have any questions or would like more information about following Jesus Christ, please contact us at gladtidings.church. If you live near Dunn, North Carolina, please consider visiting our church on Sunday mornings at 1030. You can also download our church app in the iTunes or Google Play app store and receive updates and notifications. You may use the app to make a financial gift to help support our ministry. God bless you.